So this morning we're continuing our Fruitfulness on the Frontline series where we're looking at um, how we individually can make an impact no matter how small and insignificant we might feel in the wider world. When we go out into the world and we find ourselves during the week typically um, the only Christian in our context, how can we actually live out our faith? How can we show people that our faith is, is relevant, that it has a place in the world, that it's not just some archaic relic that belongs in a museum. And so we've looked at different, different aspects of this so far. And this morning we're looking at how we can make an impact through our work. Our work. Now, some of us still go to work every day, Monday to Friday or maybe weekends. Others of us here, work is a chapter of our lives that has reached its conclusion. But we need to begin by acknowledging when we think of work in worldly terms, we tend to think of a career. We tend to think of paid employment, something that we do um, to earn a living, to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage, to put food on the table. But biblically, work is not what we're paid to do. It's a different definition. And we need to make this clear from the word go, because otherwise we're going to be speaking at cross-purposes. You see, biblically, work is um, it's anything that we do which has a purpose other than just fun. Sometimes even fun can have a purpose, but it's difficult to, to sort of define it. But basically, uh, work is anything that we can do which, in which we can serve God in some way. And sometimes the ways in which we serve God are not realised until long after the event. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, Paul writes these words. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, firstly, Paul makes it clear, whatever you do, anything you are doing, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, anything that you are doing, work at it with all your heart. We've we've spoken before, haven't we? Elsewhere, Paul writes, serve wholeheartedly. We are called to give our all in all that we do. So this is is Paul just just re-emphasising the message There's consistency in in the message that he wrote to the different churches that he wrote to. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So what's our motivation? Well, again, there's there's an echo of Ephesians 6 verse 7 where, where we read, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving God, not man. Here, Paul words it slightly different, but it's the same, um, it's the same meaning. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So, whatever situation we find ourselves in, if we have somebody pulling out in front of us on a roundabout, we've got an option. We can either serve in the way, we can either react in the the way that that serves ourselves, our own anger and frustration. Oh, yeah, what you're doing? Or we can choose to react in a way that honours God, that serves God. And the question that we have to be constantly asking ourselves is, 
Am I honouring God in the way that I am responding, in the way that I am acting, in the way that I am speaking, conducting myself? Am I honouring God? That's a habit to get into. And it's a difficult habit to get into. Because if I'm completely honest, a lot of the time when, when I have to react in a situation like that, my gut instinct is not to honour God. My gut instinct is to react in the way that the rest of the world reacts. And I have to remind myself that I'm, not, I'm called not to conform to the ways of the world. And so Paul often conveys this message. You're not working for the... Sorry, you're working for the Lord, not the men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So I said just now that actually it's not about um, employment. This is not work as in earning wages. But in a way, it is, it is about working to please God. The Bible talks about storing up our, our treasure in heaven. Now, there are different theologies around that, different ideas as to, as to what that means. But actually, we, through the cross, through choosing to follow Jesus, are guaranteed salvation, a guaranteed entry into heaven. Our inheritance is secure. And so, in a way, we've already received our inheritance. We know what we're getting. There's not going to be a, a sudden reading of the will and, here, guess what, you've, guess what you've got? It doesn't work like that. The Bible is quite clear that we have received our inheritance. It's sealed, it's secured, it's, it's delivered, it's there, waiting for us. We're used to it being the other way round, aren't we? We're used to doing the work and then at the end of the month you get your wages. You've done the work and then you get paid for it. Jesus says, have the reward up front. Have the wages up front. Have the inheritance up front. So yes, there'll be a reward. We've already got it. A place in heaven. A place in eternity with God. And Paul finishes verse 24 with the words, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, so what we're focusing on today is, is, is the impact that our work can have on the world around us, but also on God. You see, God uses each one of us to make a difference in the world, but he can only use us if we're willing to be used. If we give him the opportunity, if we say, Father, use me. Now, of course, sometimes he'll use us whether we like it or not. We look at the story of Jonah, and Jonah tried to, tried to run away as soon as he was told to go to Nineveh, this place where he was, he was convinced that as soon as he turned up, he'd be, he'd be ripped to pieces. Jonah tries to run away, and God grabs him back, and he gets, spends three days inside a, 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 a big fish and gets spewed up on a beach, and eventually Jonah finds he's got very little choice. But normally, in the normal day-to-day -day scheme of things, we do have a choice. We can be obedient to God, we can choose to discern his will for us and, and do what he wants us to do, or we can turn a blind eye. We can go down our own route and make our own path and see where that gets us. But Paul says, in all that we do, God wants our all, he wants our heart, he wants the whole of us 
to serve him fully, to be most effective. If we're only half-hearted about anything we do, we're not going to be as good as we can be. We're not going to do whatever, whatever it is as well as it can be done because we're not giving it our all. We're only giving it a bit of us. You see, work was always part of the plan. I've heard it said that we have to work, we have to endure because of the fall. But that's not quite right. You see, work was always part of the plan. If we go back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, so we've read the, the account of creation, the world being created. The very first thing to notice is that Adam and Eve weren't made on day one. Adam was, Adam was the, the sort of the, what the world was created for. He was the whole point of creation. And then Eve came along as well with companionship. The two of them, they were, they, they, were, they were put into the world. But they weren't the first things that God created. Because if, if Adam had been created on day one, if Eve had followed him soon after, then they would have found themselves wandering around a very dark, desolate, empty space. It would have been cold, it would have been miserable. You see, God had to do the, the work in the right order. He had to make sure that, that each, each part of creation was, was put in place, was completed, was properly done in the different stages until eventually the stage was set. It's like a, like a parent preparing a nursery. When parents are expecting a baby, they don't wait for the child to come and then and then decide which room they're going to have and and well, some might, but I wouldn't recommend it. That'd be a nightmare. I know that when we had Timothy, we the very first thing we, we decided, right, we've got to we've got to empty our, our box room, which was the office. We've got to empty all that out, get rid of that furniture. We've got to paint it. We've got to cove it. We've got to do it. Of course, Joe, oh, I can't do it. I'm pregnant. Dear, oh dear. Um, So anyway, yeah, I found myself on hands and knees, sanding and painting and glossing and we were preparing. We were preparing. I can honestly say that is the only time in my life I've quite enjoyed putting flat pack furniture together because I was preparing. I was preparing a room for my child. I was excited. I wanted, I wanted to do it. Normally I'd bring up my brother or my father-in-law or someone like that and let's come around for a cup of tea knowing, knowing that all I had to do was give them a screwdriver they'd see the flat pack box and they wouldn't be able to help themselves. But I wanted to do this because I was preparing it. I was doing the work but I did it in the right order and so eventually when, when the child came along there was a cot and there was a mobile hanging up and it was nicely painted and it was, there was a changing mat and all the rest of the stuff that you need. It was there. The account of creation is an account of a father preparing for the child that he knows is imminent. And when the child arrives, there is this beautiful garden. There is this beautiful place full of creatures and plants and it's made perfect. But, Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and... So there was always an intention that there was work to do. Creation wasn't finished. It had to be maintained. God put Adam there to work it and to take care of it. 
So work was always part of the plan. But of course, we then read about rebellion. We read about the fall. We read about disobedience and turning away from God. If we look at chapter 3, verse 19, we read God's response to the fall. When Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden, and he says, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. By the sweat of your brow. So suddenly this, this work has gone from, from being um, a, a maintenance job in a beautiful garden where man and God coexist and it's all lovely. Suddenly, Adam gets sent out of the garden and that work becomes toil. It becomes hard. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. In other words, unless you're, unless you're breaking your back, unless you are enduring, unless you're working and working hard, you're not going to eat. Your survival is now down to you and your work. That's not to say that Adam and Eve were abandoned by God. Of course, God, God still looked after them. God's always there. But there are earthly consequences to our actions. And these were the earthly consequences for Adam and Eve. You see, God still needed work to be done, especially after the fall. It wasn't a case of God abandoning Adam and Eve, kicking them out of the garden and, and throwing a strop. It was more, as a result of what you've done, the workload has suddenly increased. Go and do it. And you know what? We're still doing that today. We're still doing that today. There are people all around the world that, that turn away from God, that are, that are fallen people. We are fallen people. We do things wrong every day. And the work, the work that God has for us is the work of reconciliation, the work of restoration, bringing us back to our Heavenly Father. God wants us to get back to that point when man and God coexist in a perfect environment. And one day that will happen. The Bible makes it clear that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. One day we will, we will dwell alongside God, but not yet. So it's important for us to keep on working. Keep on doing the work that God has planned for us. This isn't going out to work every morning. This is, this is waking up and showing an act of kindness. This is checking every, every word that we speak, making sure that we are honouring the person we're speaking to and honouring God. Making sure that we, we're, not, we're not scared of our faith. Making sure that we speak, we speak words which honour God at all opportunities. Our work should create a context for other people to flourish. And if we... If, if, our, if our work is, is the work that God has planned for us, it's not going to harm people, it's not going to be work that destroys people, it's not going to upset people or offend people, it's going to be work that shows love and kindness. Because God is a God of love and kindness. When we look at, when we look at creation, there are many ways we can look at it. 
We can look at God in a role of a homemaker, as I spoke about just now, creating an atmosphere of, of rest and refreshment. Or we can look at him as a party host. Sometimes heaven is described as, as some sort of ongoing party. A place of fun and celebration. A place of joy. Or maybe we can look at God as, as, a, as a manager, a good manager allows their team to flourish, recognises the gifts and talents that, have, that, that their people bring to the team and, and allow them to flourish. We can look at God as a co-worker, a team member, someone who, who works hard and makes sure that they, they pass on their knowledge and experience to those that they work with to benefit the whole team. You see, God is a leader. God is, we talk about him in many contexts, a father, lord of lords, a brother. We don't often talk about him as a boss, do we? And yet ultimately God's the one that we work for. God cares about our work. You know, sometimes you do tiny little things and you think, God's such a so huge, if God flung stars into space and balanced the planets and is in charge of each and, every, each and every aspect of life, then surely, surely, when I'm in a crisis and I call out to him, he can hear me, he responds, but actually every, the mundane, he's got bigger things to worry about. But, but in Genesis, going back to chapter 2, verse 19, we read, The Lord God had formed all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, He brought them to the man to see what he'd named them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. What a great image. God says, hey Adam, look, look at this. I've I've made this. What name? And Adam has this job of, I don't know, (laughs) he comes up with all these different names. Now we don't know what language it was. um, I I know you might struggle with this one, but it probably wasn't English. But you see, I know, I know. But you see, he, he comes out with names for these. God gives him the, the work of naming. And God could, could have given names, he could have done it, but he doesn't. He cares about Adam's work. He wants Adam to make, make the world his own. He wants him to, to love these things, to take ownership of these things, to look at it and think, wow, what am I going to call it? As soon as you give something a name, you know, look at a child, as soon as it, it buys a, a teddy off a shelf full of teddies where there's hundreds of them there, it picks one and they're all exactly the same. The child knows that, goes to the counter, pays for it, walks away and suddenly that teddy's got a name. And as soon as it's got a name, that is the most important thing. The child forgets there were hundreds on the shelf. That becomes the most closest companion to that child. It can't talk, it can't do anything, it's just a stuffed toy, but... It's got a name. It's got an identity. Giving a name is a responsibility. It creates a bond. And so through God giving Adam that responsibility, it reinforces the bond between man and God, but it also creates a bond between man and creation. God cares about our work. So in Eden we see God creating order. He creates something out of nothing. It's like a gardener clearing a a barren wasteland and starting to make it into something beautiful. God generates provision. 
He fills this, this garden with, with fruit, with plants. We know that there was, there was food there. So he tells of Adam, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we know that there were other trees, there were other fruits. God had provided. In, in essence, God was, having created the home, he was now filling the cupboards, making sure that when the guests arrived, the cupboards were full. He brings joy. He makes it a place of, of joy. We have a description of the rivers flowing through it and all the different things that were in it. And it's, it's you know, Eden is sort of, is paradise. There's joy and beauty there. Because God puts the work into making sure that what he's made is as good as it can be. God's heart is in creation. His whole heart. A friend of mine is a decorator and on their children's bedroom wall, floor to ceiling, there's a mural of, it's just a, it's a blue sky and there's, it's a, basically a, a, a dog fight, if you like, um, different aeroplanes, but it's, you can stand there for ages just looking at it. It's, it's, this, this guy's an artist, it's incredible. Again, he did that because he wanted his child to walk into their bedroom one day. It was a surprise. Just walked in and, wow. And just to stand there and be, be engrossed in what he'd, he'd created. The work and time and effort that had gone into it was made completely worthwhile by that, wow. When we look at the world and we, we stand back and we allow ourselves to be wowed by creation, it makes it all worthwhile for God. And so it's important that we make time to do that. It's important that we spend time acknowledging the work that God has done. It's also important not to be overawed by the work around us. You see, we live in a world where we're, and we're very good at acknowledging all the bad stuff that's going on, all the terrible things, but actually we live in a world where there's an awful lot of very, very good-hearted people. There's an awful lot of people who, who don't know Jesus, but you look at them and you think, you're such a good person. I wish I could be, wish I could be more like you. And as Christians, it's very easy to be judgmental and, oh, if only they were a Christian. But actually, I... I used to have a next-door neighbour who um, didn't have any interest in church whatsoever. None at all. Hated the idea, hated the concept, just completely dismissive. When we, a few years ago, when we had heavy snow, I woke up in the morning, and I was still up in the city at the time, I got up a bit earlier just to make sure trains were cancelled so I could go back to bed. Um, They weren't, as it happened, so I got up and I got dressed and um, I was making my way to the station. But... While I'd been getting up and getting dressed, I could hear a scraping sound and I thought, oh, someone's clearing a driveway. And I looked out the window and I saw my neighbour clearing, clearing his path. I thought, oh, fair enough, he'll be off to work soon. And then as I was leaving the house, I was walking up the road and I suddenly realised that my, the pathway had been cleared down our driveway to the car and to the pavement. And then I realised that the four or five elderly people who live on their own on our street, all of their pathways had been cleared of snow. They had a path up to the pavement. 
If someone came to pick them up in a car, they could, they could walk to the end of uh, their, their pathway safely. You see, this guy, when I spoke to him a couple of weeks later, I said, was that you? He said, yeah. He said, well, you can't just leave them, can you? I'm, I was going off to work. He said, imagine if I, he said, I was clearing my own driveway, imagine if I'd got home and uh, one of them had fallen and broken a hip or something. How would I feel? And I thought, do you know, I woke up that morning, I looked outside, I admired the snow, I was disappointed the trains weren't cancelled, I got my shoes and coat on and went to work. He had done the Christian thing without being a Christian. I'd just gone to work. And so you see, if you look at that situation, you can understand why sometimes people say, you call yourself a Christian. And that can feel really cutting, and that can really hurt us, and it should. Because deep down I knew, when I reflected on that, I hadn't done the God-honouring thing, I hadn't gone the extra mile, I'd gone off to my paid work, because I had to. I hadn't worked for God that morning, despite there being a prime opportunity. It's easy to miss these opportunities. We can serve others. Every week I, I get up early and put my bins out. I know that because, um, I, I do that because I know that if you put them out the night before, it just becomes an all-you-can-eat buffet for the local foxes. And so if I see one of my neighbours has put their bins out the night before, I try and remember to check and I'll go and put them down my driveway and put them up, pile them up so they're out of the way where they're less likely to be found by cats and foxes and then I put them back out in the morning. It's just a tiny little thing. No one knows I do that. It doesn't matter. But it's a tiny little thing. I know I do it. God knows I do it. And I'm sure there are many, many other examples of times, things that we do at different times which go unseen by men and women and children, but they're seen by God. I noticed, silly example I know, but I noticed someone in the supermarket this week, a lady was putting stuff on shelves and every jar that she put on the shelf, she just turned so the label's facing outwards. So that when you're in a supermarket and you're in a hurry and you're pushing a trolley and you're looking for something, you can see it easily. A tiny little thing. But boy, that can make a difference to people. That's appreciated by people. You see, these tiny little things, when God calls us to work, often it's not some massive big task to go out and and change the world. Often it's just these tiny, tiny, tiny little bits. I read a biography of an American preacher um, last year who said probably the biggest frustration that he'd found in in a life of serving God, a life of preaching, He said, is that every morning I've woken up wanting to write a massive cheque, wanting to say, God, take everything, take my all, call me to some some dark corner of the world where I can go and and proclaim your word and and make a difference. And I've wanted to write a cheque for everything, give my whole life. But he said, the biggest frustration is that every day God says, no, 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 I don't don't want that. Um, Just give me, you haven't got seven pence, have you? to add to that 30 pence you gave yesterday and that penny you gave the day before. He said it's, it's the tiny instalments. We're wanting to give everything, but God doesn't call us to give everything. God calls us to give what he calls us to give. And we need to be satisfied to give that. And we need to make sure that what we do, we do well. 
and our motivation can be really, really good. We don't, if we don't do what we do well, then we can have a negative impact rather than a positive one. As I say, I'm, I'm no DIY expert at all. Um, many, many years ago, when Joe and I first got our house, we, we were going through room by room decorating. And when it came to the bathroom, my brother said, oh, no, I'll come and give you a hand, which basically means I'll come and do it for you, which I was very, very grateful for. And he'd put in a new bathroom. Um, he'd, done, he'd, he'd done everything that needed to be doing, the, the plumbing, the, put the sink, the toilet, the bath in, all the rest of it. And eventually he got to the tiling, and he put the tiles on the wall and um, had the spaces in, and the grouting wasn't yet done. And he bought all the stuff, and I said, how do you do it? And he explained how you mix it up and how you put it on. And you, um, he, said, he said, once you've put it on, he said, um, all the excess on it, just make sure all the gaps are filled. And then afterwards, you just wipe it off. And he went, and he said he'd be back the next day to do it. And so I thought, That's, it sounds easy. It's the one thing I reckon I can do. So I stirred it all up, I mixed it all up, and I got the grout all ready, and all the tiles were, were beautifully played, stuck on the wall. So I just started putting it on and rubbing it in and filling the gaps, and, and I got it, got the hole, it was just round the bar, so it's three, three walls. Um, got it all done. And I was really pleased with it. But what I didn't realise, I read on the instructions and I recalled him telling me, you, just, you put it all on, and then afterwards, just wipe off the excess. Now, I took that to mean, once it's dry, wipe off the excess. Um, so I left it overnight. It was just all over the tiles. It was just covered in it. And um, the next morning, my brother got to my house before I did, because we weren't living there at the time, because it was a building site. And he phoned me up, and I, I, saw, I saw it was him ringing, and I thought, oh, it's gonna be, he's going to be thanking me. I'm pleased I've done that. I've got a nice warm feeling inside. And I picked up the phone. I cannot repeat what he said to me. But there was a lot of it and it wasn't nice. He went ballistic. And I've since discovered that once grouting has dried, it's incredibly difficult to get it off tiles. It doesn't just wipe off. Um, And uh, our bathroom was never quite what it could have been. Um, And he still doesn't let me forget that story. But you see, I I did that work. I had good intentions, but I I didn't know what I was doing. I I should have just left it and just helped him the next day and learned. Instead, I tried to do something that that I really, I I wasn't meant to be doing. So we have to recognise what we can and can't do. Know our own limitations. You see, when we read Mark's Gospel, we get, a, we get an indication of how Jesus worked, of, 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 of the quality of his work. He wasn't half-hearted in things. We're told in Mark's Gospel he did everything well. We're told after he's healed a deaf and mute man, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Everything that Jesus did was done well. You can imagine that when he was doing carpentry, he was, he was irritatingly accurate in everything that he did. I bet the tables that he made never wobbled. What he did, he did well. But you see... We're not justified by works. We're not saved by what we do. We don't earn our salvation. That's absolutely crystal clear. We are saved 
by the grace of God. We are saved by Jesus' willingness to die on the cross for our sin. That's what we're saved by. Our works can lead others to be saved. Our works are one of the most important things in demonstrating to other people why the Christian faith is the way to salvation. Again, the words of Jesus. He says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The light, when we talk about being beacons for God, when we talk about shining for him, about making a difference, standing out, it's our deeds. Jesus says there, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So our work is actually part of God's evangelistic plan. It's part of God's plan to reconcile people back to him. Our works our works. That's why the simple things, holding a door open for someone, smiling at someone, showing interest in someone, listening to someone when you're talking to them rather than having half an eye on your phone. All of these things, they're tiny, tiny things and we might think, yeah, but I want to do more, I want to do more. Well, God wants us to start with the small stuff. God wants us to make sure that we get the small stuff right before we start doing the bigger stuff because if we get the small things right, then we're going to be calamitous when we try and do anything bigger. Our good deeds can lead others to salvation. That's why, that's why we need to make sure that whatever, whatever we do during the week, whether it's paid employment or whether it's just in the house at home, whether it's at a coffee morning, a children's club, in a queue at a supermarket, whatever it is, we can show love, compassion, kindness, thoughtfulness, care, generosity. We can show love to people. Because it's what God wants us to do. All of these things are part of our work for God. There is work in the world that is not of God. There always has been. Look at the building of the temple. Massive, impressive structure. Wow, that's incredible. Look at the, the engineering and the work that's gone into it. That's fantastic. But it was, it was a structure that was built in direct disobedience to God. And so it led to, it led to people being split, divided, going off to their own corners of the world, not being able to communicate. It caused friction and division. God's a God of unity. That wasn't part of his plan. You look at the ark... That was something that was built in, in direct obedience to God. Noah listened to God. He, he trusted him when he said there's going to be a flood. Build an ark. This is what you need to use. This is the dimensions. Fill it with animals. Noah could have said, you're mad. This, is a, this isn't going to flood. Look, this is, this is desert. But he didn't. He was obedient. The ark was an act of obedience to God and so God honoured that. It saved, it saved mankind that act of obedience. It prevented Noah and his family and, and the creatures on board from being wiped out. 
You see, the quality of life. We often talk about quality of life. And we need to care about quality of life. We need to care about the quality of life of those people around us, those people that God brings into our lives. The people that God puts us in the midst of so that we can make a difference to them. It's very easy to feel, to feel isolated when we're out in, in the world, in our workplace or wherever we happen to be during the week, but actually we're not isolated because God is with us. If we truly believe that, then we're never going to feel that we're alone. We're going to feel that we're empowered. We're going to feel that we can make a difference, that we can show people through our actions, through our deeds, through our work, the, the compassion and the love of God. We're going to show people the relevance of the Christian faith that God cares about our work, that God wants to see our work, that God wants us to be prepared to serve him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. This week, when we have an opportunity to serve, whatever it might be, serve wholeheartedly. Because you can go to someone's house and be served truffles and steak and the finest foods, the finest wines. You can sit on a sofa worth £30,000. You can look at the mansion they've got and admire it and you can think, this is amazing. But if if their heart isn't in serving you, you can feel incredibly unwelcome, despite all the, the lavish, the lavish surroundings. You can feel very, very unwelcome. Equally, you can go have beans on toast in a bit of a dump of a place. And if that's served with some, someone serves with their heart, if that's given wholeheartedly, you can feel incredibly welcome and warm. It's all about our heart. God wants our heart. That passage in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Our attitude reflects our God. So let's make sure that our work reflects our attitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you use us, that you have a plan for us, that you have work ready for us to do. And Father, we pray that this week you will speak to us. You will give us a clear sense of what that work is. Whether it's simply opening doors for people, talking to people, showing interest in them. Whether it's feeding someone, whether it's putting an arm around a a family member or a friend and encouraging them, whether it's forgiving someone. Father, whatever you've got lined up for us, we pray that you'll help us to discern what it is and then do it. And do it not begrudgingly, do it not because we feel that we have to, do it not out of a sense of guilt, but do it wholeheartedly. Father, help us to bear any stress and pressure that, that work might bring us, 
any additional work that comes out of the, the work that we do in the first place. Father, help, help us to, to maintain this, this understanding that everything that we do is an act of service to you. Father, help us to remember that we are not here to serve mankind. We are here to serve you. And so we can rise above the angst and the tension of the world and instead be beacons of peace and serenity who serve, who love and who make a difference to the people that we meet. In Jesus' name, Amen.